After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to see this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay. Watch your hair. Good checking, guys. Good play. February continues to move along. People are doing their best to huddle together and keep warm. Texas, we're thinking about you. You have had a rough few days, and there's a few more rough few days ahead. And we hope you're doing okay. We hope everyone is doing okay as we continue to move through these difficult and trying times. And Josh, that's why we're here, to provide a little information. And I think in this edition of the podcast, a little levity as well. Oh, let's hope. If we can make people a little smarter and have some fun along the way, I'm thrilled, Todd. That's a success. That's a good game. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, so much more. Check them out online. Go Team Stripes. Dot com. Go teamstripes.com. He's Josh. I'm Todd. You can follow us on our social media channels to get Josh. Of course, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. And we welcome emails as well. Hey, ref at scoutingtherefs.com. Among the topics on this week's edition of the podcast, when a goal is not a goal, and when no puck has crossed the goal line, a goal is awarded. Plus, what can be reviewed? What can't be reviewed? Are you confused? Well, that's why we're here. To help provide clarity, I think, as much as anything, Josh. Clarity is a good thing, and, and there's enough room for it based on the NHL rulebook and the different interpretations <laughs> and situations that are out there that, that sometimes any clarity helps in, in what can oftentimes be a very confusing document when you're trying to apply it to game situations. Document is a good word. In fact, legal document is what the rule makers are trying to come up with to really make everything as clear as possible to have it on one side of the line or the other, much like an offside. It's either onside or offside. It's either a penalty or a foul or an obstruction or, or how, whatever. And so, but it's, it doesn't always work that way, does it? Not always. You know, we've, we've got a lot of game situations when all the different factors that come into play might impact how a situation is handled or how a penalty is called. You look at, at contact between two players. You know, it's such a fluid game where people are moving and you certainly can't judge someone's intent, which is why some of those intent or deliberate things are are sparsely populated in the rule book. But you really need to look at the actions and then was it this person's action? Did another person's action contribute to what happened in that situation? So many things go in, so many snap judgment calls that have to be made, and it's it's a lot to process, Todd. It, it absolutely is. And we will get into a few different situations this week. There is one thing I want to mention, though, before we dive into the rules and the legalities and that kind of stuff. It's one thing that I've been thinking about and I've noticed right since the start of this year. Ah. And I will tell you, I am seeking an answer from someone who will know and is getting to the bottom of it. I can't tell you who or anything yet, but I, I will tell you this. Everybody's been accustomed as we're watching the games this year to seeing the virtual ads on the ice and other places around the TV broadcasts. Some outlets I find are doing it better than others. At times, the broadcasts appear to be a little cluttered because they're scattered everywhere. But here's my question. It has to do with the virtual ads on the ice, the ones that appear 
just inside the blue line of each zone. Why on earth are they positioned in their current manner? They are difficult to read, especially if you have several lines of wording, logos, and the like. They're, they're very difficult. If you were to simply rotate those virtual graphics <laughs> 90 degrees and make them horizontal across your screen, it would be so much easier to read. Again, I am working to get answers to these probing questions that everyone wants to know. Todd, I'm going to defer to an old <laughs> NHL adage here that I think applies. Okay. That's, that's how it's always been done. Think, <laughs> think of all the NHL league messaging that's at the blue lines. You know, we've got the playoffs or we've got the Stanley Cup final or whatever it is with the wording running parallel to the blue line there. And I think somebody just went, well, do, do it like that, even though. These are virtual ads. There's no one in the building to see or benefit from the ads. And there's no logical reason for an ad to be sideways on television. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> I can't understand who okayed this. Who? How did it get past the, okay, we approve this ads, this ad portion. It sh this should have been, hey, you know what? If we turn these either to the left or right 90 degrees, <laughs> people will actually be able to read them. And and if I'm the guy writing the check for that advertisement and I'm watching the game on TV, I look at it and I, and I call somebody up and go, why is it sideways? I paid good money for that. <laughs> Fix it. I mean, <laughs> where's the accountability here? My, my money's being spent on an advertisement to be virtually embedded in a hockey rink. I want it to go so people can read it. I don't think that's too much to ask. And now that you've pointed it out, it's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> well, I, again, I hope that I have started the wheels in motion to get an answer as to A, why they are done in this manner, and B, hopefully this can get corrected so people don't go cross-eyed watching for the rest of the season. Well, you know, you just tilt your head 90 degrees and then you're all set to watch the zone entry for the offside. It just... <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I've, I've I've gotten that little rant out of my out of my system and I think I'm okay now. Should we get on to the games? I think there's, there's a few interesting ones, okay? Let's dive in with our heads on straight. Okay, very good. Sidney Crosby, in a game recently versus the Washington Capitals, was on his way to dumping the puck into an empty net late in the game to seal a victory. However, as Sid the Kid approached the blue line, he got hooked in the side under his arm. The puck did move forward and actually did go into the net eventually, but referee John McIsaac was on the ball and right away, as soon as the infraction was committed, awarded a goal to Sidney Crosby. This was well before the puck went into the net. And this is the answer to one of the earlier questions, when a goal is a goal, even when the puck hasn't crossed the line. Yeah, this was a fun one. McIsaac was right on top of the play and emphatically signaling the goal there because at that point, he didn't know for sure that the puck would enter the net. But we've seen this before. The NHL rule is that when the goalkeeper has been pulled, if a player in control of the puck or and this was a new addition, who could have obtained possession and control of the puck. They added that one a few years back just to give guys who were wide open that additional leeway to get the awarded mm -hmm. goal here. But if it's in the neutral zone or the attacking zone and you're tripped or fouled with no opposition between him and the goal, thus preventing a reasonable scoring opportunity, stop play, award a goal to the attacking team. So that's basically what happened here. I know the puck went in from a technical standpoint, play should have been stopped. The goal should have been awarded, but it's a moot point. It's it's the same outcome either way. I think one of the questions that came up on that, Todd, for me was someone asked, you know, does it have to be a clear breakaway? And the definition of a breakaway sometimes 
varies slightly in the NHL rulebook. If we're looking at penalty shots, the player has to be fouled from behind. So that's part of what constitutes the breakaway language there. In this situation, it's no opposition between him and the opposing goal. So if you've got a guy next to him or, or running parallel there, that doesn't necessarily negate the breakaway portion or put him in the clear, so to speak. So in this case, I mean, right call here, but certainly one that's uh, always fun to watch. You know, you, you, you like those opportunities when it's a goal, it's not a goal, but it still counts. Well, and it always brings me back to the thinking of, I believe it was Patrick Steffen when he was playing with the, the Dallas Stars and had a wide open empty net, was skating right into the crease against the Edmonton Oilers, oh. clunked it off the post, fell down. The Oilers went up the other end and, and put the puck in the net and then wound up tying the game. Poor Patrick Stefan, man. He <laughs> he had no opposition between him and the opposing goal and prevented himself from getting a reasonable scoring opportunity. So that was uh, it that was, was amazing. Brutal. It was it was it was absolutely stunning to watch. Okay, on to other items. Uh, midweek game between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators. It seems like these two teams are playing each other for about the the twentieth time already. <laughs> I, I do kind of like the clusters of games against teams. I think next year when we expand the schedule back to a more normal manner, and you have more teams playing one another, I think this will work out nicely. It just it's just seems like it's happening an awful lot. But I digress again. Joe Thornton was standing in front of the Ottawa Senators' goal and late in the first period as the puck lay in the crease just in front of goaltender Matt Murray. Well, Jumbo Joe took a whack at it a couple of times and wound up shoving the puck across the goal line before time expired. However, referee Eric Furlat was quick to wave the goal off. Thornton, while making the puck cross the goal line, also shoved the goaltender Matt Murray's pad in one motion. So that is no goal, correct? You can explain this for us, Josh? Correct. That is, by the letter of the law, goaltender interference. It's covered under Rule 69.7. Simply put, in the event that a goalkeeper has been pushed into the net together with the puck by an attacking player after making a stop, the goal will be disallowed. It's as simple as that. Notice that the rule does not say the puck has to be covered, which we've seen occasions when a goaltender covers the puck with his glove and gets pushed in. It's not a requirement for a goal to be disallowed under this rule. It's really just getting pushed into the net after you've made a save. So Thornton could have pulled the puck back and fired it over the leg pad or moved the puck some other direction, but by going forward with it and pushing the goaltender, and it doesn't matter that he's pushing the puck into the pad the net effect is you're pushing it together. That's against this particular rule. So no goal on the play, a pretty easy one, and an immediate wave off by referee Eric Furlat, who had a good view of it. Before we move on to the other Joe Thornton issue in the same game against the Ottawa Senators, I sent you a tweet after the game or during the game from Mike Johnson, former NHLer, now working as an analyst for, for TSN and others, who felt that... In this case, perhaps the goal should count. Joe Thornton was whacking away at the puck and in the same motion pushed the pad across. And I, I think he makes a decent argument to try to keep offense going. It's highly unlikely that a player is going to be able to, with the toe of his stick, pull the puck back and then raise it up to the roof of the net over the goaltender's pad in a reasonable amount of time. You should be able to slap at the puck, I think, and make it cross the line. If the goaltender's pad goes over, well, so be it. 
Yeah, I think you get into a, a tough argument there. And we've looked at rules protecting goalkeepers in the past and letting players not take too many whacks or too many shots. You certainly don't want to create a situation where it's dangerous for a goaltender that guys just want a two-hand whack and it doesn't matter if they hit the puck or the goalie if they're trying to get the guy to go into the net. So I think you're looking at a, a, a little bit of a safety issue there. And I think the other part of it is you've got a goaltender typically who's down making a save. His pads are in contact with the ice. His skates aren't. So as far as his stability and his ability to stop moving or to restrict his movement, it's extremely limited in that position. So you've got a guy who's more susceptible to being pushed across the ice. You could see how easy it was for Thornton to move the goalkeeper in this situation. So I think in that respect too, you've got a guy who's very slippery on the ice, but I don't want to encourage stick work or, or more aggressive behavior on the goaltenders. I think from a safety standpoint, and I, I appreciate the goal scoring angle of it, but I think you've got to draw the line somewhere with how much physical contact you want that could be affecting the goaltender himself and not just on the puck. Sure, sure. Always lean in favor of the goalies. Okay. All right. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes. GoTeamStripes.com is the website. GoTeamStripes.com. He's Josh. I'm Todd. We're talking NHL rules. And Joe Thornton was involved in another disallowed goal in the same game, believe it or not. The second goal came later on a deflected point shot that went into the net. It was ruled that the puck was tipped by a high stick, once again, coincidentally enough, by Eric Furlat. And there was no challenge by the Maple Leafs. Can you believe this, Josh? That that the announcers and commentators were screaming, <laughs> how do the Maple Leafs not challenge this one? The broadcast crew was beside themselves that the coach wasn't challenging. He didn't challenge because he can't challenge that play. Which, I mean, let's baseline the, the rule here. So we do have coaches' challenges for goaltender interference. We have a coach's challenge for offside. We have a coach's challenge for a missed stoppage in the offensive zone on a play that leads to a goal. That would include a puck played by a high stick, which then went to a teammate. That you could challenge. The play should have been whistled down. It was missed. Same thing with a hand pass, the, the type of situation that originated that change to the rule book. However... A puck that was deflected in by a high stick, that is under the sole purview of the NHL Situation Room. It's up to them to decide if they want to take a second look at it, if they want to review the play to judge the height of the deflection. In this case, the referee waved it off for a high stick. The Situation Room agreed with the call. They did not overturn the call on the ice. They agreed that the video review supported it. And we didn't see a formal review, but the Situation Room is watching all of these situations to alert the on-ice officials if there's anything going on or if they saw something different there. I think Joe had a, a good argument when it came to where on his stick the puck deflected. I don't think he was right. I, I understand his point, though. His stick was up high. He said the puck deflected off the stick at a point lower than the crossbar, which would make it a legal goal. It is where the puck contacts the stick, not necessarily the height of the stick itself. So it was a good argument. I still think the stick was well above the crossbar, so I don't think he would have won that one. But even if he felt strongly, his coaches had no opportunity to challenge that goal to get another look at it. So once again, we ask or maybe plead with announcers please, and those broadcasting please. games, please read the rule book or, or, or feel free to, to reach out to, to Josh because he's got the rule book handy as, as Jason Greger did last night. And we'll get into that in just a couple of seconds. Just before we leave this situation, I thought it was 
perfect Joe Thornton afterwards who said he was really hoping to go for the, the hat trick <laughs> yes. of waved off goals in last night's game. <laughs> oh, I was I was hoping for it. I know Joe Thornton's had some uh, public commitments to what he would do if he scored four goals in a game, but I was hoping to see what would happen if he had three waved off and we almost got there. He has a wicked sense of humor, and it's very, very funny. Okay, the other incidents also have to do with high sticks, and they really troubled Darnell Nurse of the Edmonton Oilers. He had a rough night with high sticking calls in a game versus Winnipeg. He wound up getting rung up twice in the first period. Okay, incident number one, a step-up hit on Kyle Connor in the neutral zone, when this one was actually turned out to be Connor's stick that inflicted the punishment, and Nurse... Looked to me simply as if he his arms extended a little bit as he was making the hit, and it was Connor's own stick that plunked him in the head. Right, and that is one of these unfortunate calls that you're calling it in real time, and depending on your positioning, you see players collide, you see a stick up, you see contact with the stick, and the whistle's blown and a penalty's assessed. There's really not much you can do about it at that point. The interesting wrinkle is that now we have the ability to review certain high-sticking calls. So the irony of this being, Todd, on a minor penalty, you can't review it. If there had been blood on the play, if he had been injured, they would have called a double minor. The double minor could then be reviewed, and upon review, the officials could say, hey, that was his own stick, and wipe the penalty out. So by being a minor, they weren't able to review it. Were it a double minor, they could have taken a second look. And, and crazily enough... By not injuring him more severely, <laughs> Nurse was called for the penalty. <laughs> yeah, okay. If, if only I'd cracked him right. a little bit harder, maybe I would have gotten away with it. It's a weird way to look at this, but I guess it's true. I mean, I understand the, the league's positioning on taking that second look at plays that have caused injury, and it's often due to friendly fire that they want to take that, that review and see, was it his own stick or was it a teammate's stick that caused it? But it, it has to hit that injury threshold before you can take a look, so... Unfortunate for Nurse on that particular play. Funny you should mention friendly fire. The second offense, just a short while later, on Darnell Nurse, who was at this point trying to clear the front of his net and wound up putting Jets forward Andrew Kopp on his backside. As Kopp is falling, Nikolai Ehlers catches a high stick as he's standing nearby and is felled by that stick. And once again, Darnell Nurse gets called for a high sticking penalty. It wasn't his stick. It was that of cops that caught the Jets forward. But again, minor penalty, not reviewable. Shout out to Jason Greger, who reached out to you to get clarification of these rules because there was a lot of confusion once again. Yeah, it's just, I understand as well, just having that straight on which situations can be reviewed, which can't. You know, when it comes to a high stick that causes injury with the double minor, you can review it. And your options then are either to keep it as it is, as a double minor, or to waive it off completely. And then we've got major penalties, which are also eligible to be reviewed by the officials. And for those types of calls, you either keep it as a major or you can reduce it to a minor. You can't eliminate a major penalty upon review. So not only is it which types of penalties can be reviewed, but what are your options when you perform that review? So I, I understand the frustration and the confusion around that. Certainly something that is designed to address specific situations, but unfortunately for Darnell Nurse, not designed to address those situations that caught him last night. So this leads me to our additional topic of, dare I say it, 
do we need more video review? And let me, before everyone goes completely off the deep end, let me pose this question in a certain way. The goal of video review is to prevent egregious errors, aka the Matt Duchesne offside, which began this whole snowball running downhill. Isn't a player being penalized for doing nothing wrong falling into that same category. Darnell Nurse was simply trying to clear the front of his net. He did not perform an illegal check on Andrew Kopp, the Winnipeg Jets forward. It was Kopp's stick who contacted his teammate and caused a high-sticking penalty to be called mistakenly. Isn't there a way that we could incorporate some sort of review that would help eliminate this sort of thing? I know there are provisions for it, as you say, with double minors, with majors, but again, it doesn't completely address the situation. So where do you start, Todd? Do we do we review? Oh, do we review? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> do we review every penalty call? Do we decide which ones get reviewed? Do we allow coaches to challenge one penalty call a game? I've heard suggestions for all of those, as well as the video official or the eye in the sky ref who's watching via camera to catch those types of things and see if it was a good call or if it was a bad call. My fear personally is that we don't want to officiate the game and run it via replay. We see, I guess to a certain extent, commentators talking about, well, the, the linesman can just let it go if it's offside. We'll, we'll catch it in video review if it matters. Yeah, right. You, you don't want to run things that way. You want the guys to call the game as they see it on the ice. So if you're calling penalties, you don't want to think about, let me call it and we'll check it in review. You want to call what you're seeing in front of you with the best information, with the clearest judgment that you have at that moment in time. So I think you create a, a difficult spot when every call gets scrutinized or questioned. You know, certainly the bigger ones, the, the majors and the match penalties and things like that make more sense. And it's something we've seen in college hockey for years. It's a bit of a slippery slope for me. I, know I hate coming back mm -hmm. to that term, but you just want to figure out what's the right balance here. You know, maybe there is an opportunity to have two video officials, one watching each half of the ice and, and they can flag things if it came to that. I would rather them do that live from off ice than rely on replay. I think I would rather see that step. They're still calling the action live. Maybe you go to two referees on the ice that are watching things and you've got somebody else monitoring it from off the ice. It's to me, a, a technological compromise, if, if that's a direction we need to go in, that I would rather see before it comes to replay on everything. Yes, you're right. I agree. You can't, you can't use replay for every instance. I think it's asinine for those that suggest, oh, the linesman should just let it go. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a way to officiate the game. But in this, in this case, there, there is a stoppage in play. And I think that's going to be an important distinction if you're going to look at something like this. The play has to have been stopped already. It can't be, oh, there was a missed call. We're, we're going to stop the play now and we're going to go back to it or something like that. I think in this case, there was a penalty called. It just, just some sort of proviso that, you know what, a mistake was made, much like after getting together and discussing an icing ruling, right. you know what, it wasn't correct, we're going to face it off at center ice. This way you get, to, you get to eliminate a penalty that should not have been called. Much like happened in Columbus not that long ago, if I remember correctly. Well, looks like we've set that precedent now, so I can't <laughs> fault you for going there, Todd. <laughs> I, th I think, though, 
the, then what concerns me is, do you then have this expectation that officials will overcall games and overturn them via replays afterwards? Because that situation gives you the opportunity to review a penalty that was called, but it doesn't allow for anything for a missed call or a non-call, like we saw in Edmonton as well, where a high-sticking call that did cause injury to an Edmonton player, the uh, poor guy's bleeding there on the bench, was missed completely. And if you're right. adding replay or you're going to expand this to try to look at what video components you have, that type of situation is one that I would want to make sure was captured. That's a great example of, hey, if, if we're going to look at this from an open mind of whatever solutions we've got, how can we make sure that doesn't get missed in, in this discussion? So I think if you're going that way, you've, you've got to consider those missed calls as well, especially a key one like that that did cause injury, but no penalty on the play. Look, I didn't say it was going to be easy. I just said we should think about it. <laughs> we should. We we absolutely should. We should think of all the different ways you can do it because I think the overall goal, like you said, avoid those egregious errors and get the call right. And the officials would agree that the goal is to get the call right. And by human nature or positioning or many things, it doesn't always work out that way. And they would love to get every call exactly right. It's just where's that balance and compromise between stopping and reviewing every single thing that happens versus accepting that there will be a certain amount of missed calls on either side, but that's the nature of the game. It's it's a tough one, Todd, and I think it's a discussion that does need to be ongoing because in the continuous improvement of hockey, especially at the National Hockey League level, you, you'd be silly to not try to find ways to make it better. You're 100% right. As long as we are always trying to improve and get better, then I, I think that everyone will accept that. See? Simple. Little 20-minute discussion. We've got this solved. <laughs> That's it. All taken care of. All fixed. we got the virtual ads set. we got penalty calls, replay. <laughs> Solving the world's problems on the podcast. <laughs> the Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out. GoTeamStripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit ScoutingTheRefs.com.